ready. Hi there. And you are? Libby. You are here for the new collection turnaround. This is such an important night for us. A lot of people have been very keen to get their eyes on it. Jeans that automatically adapt to your body size. The Super Shapers! I want you to know I will do whatever it takes to make sure things go as scheduled. Oh my god. I'm so like totally excited. I could just die. <laughs> should, should we call the police? We can't. We're in lockdown. What if there's a killer out there? Are you afraid there's a killer out there? Yeah. This summer. Get ready for slacks. Okay, so we know two things. It loves Bollywood music, and it has a bindi on its forehead. Slacks. Small price to pay for an awesome ass. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. Joining me, as always, it's... Mr. Venom, how are you doing, Venom? Once again, greetings and salutations, fashionistas. Yes, I used the same greeting two weeks in a row, but I think it actually fits this week a little bit more. Uh, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How are you, you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, looking at my upcoming schedule of not just podcast stuff, but other stuff, and I got a week ahead of me, that's for sure, but... Uh, as usual, Fresh Cuts is the show to kick it off. How are you doing, Don? Who's also joining us as always? Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Yeah, great to be here as always. All right. Well, this week we are covering the movie we said we would be. No changes in the schedule this time. It is Slacks, which is now streaming on Shutter, coming in at a cool seventy-seven minutes. Quick watch. Uh, it's listed as a horror comedy or comedy horror, according to IMDb. And the synopsis is as follows. When a possessed pair of jeans begins to kill the staff of a trendy clothing store, it is up to Libby, an idealistic young sales clerk, to stop its bloody rampage. Now, yeah, if you know the title of this movie um, as slacks, another word for pants, yeah, you guessed it right without even knowing the synopsis it's a killer pair of jeans designer jeans in this movie so you might already be thinking huh but uh we'll get into whether those feelings are justified or not starting with our general thoughts venom what did you think of slacks i have two opinions of this movie i will start with the positive one i loved the basic story um, I love the, the jeans as the uh, antagonist of the film. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought there were some great kills. We had a good amount of gore. Uh, a few off-screen kills, but at least the, the couple that we see on screen are very gory. So that's uh, definitely there. Um, obviously, an hour and 17-minute runtime. Really an hour and like 14 minutes when the, when the uh, credits start. So it, you know, it's a lovely uh, runtime, you know. Um, let's see, what else positive can I say? 
like I said, when it comes to anything horror related in this film, I loved it. I think they nailed it in almost every aspect. But then we get to the supposed comedy of the film. I did not laugh once at any of the things that I was supposed to laugh at. The only things that I laughed at in this movie had to do with the, with the jeans, you know, the titular slacks themselves and what they were doing to the people. As far as the intentional comedy, it fell flat for me. Uh, I hate just about everyone in this movie. And I've said this before, folks, if you're going to give me a movie, you got to give me some likable characters. This movie is filled to the brim with just vapid, unlikable dipshits. I hate just about everyone in this film. Now, this is a horror comedy, and obviously as it's a horror comedy based on a possessed pair of pants, yes, there's going to be a lot of suspension of disbelief, and I also understand that the characters are also you know, going to be caricatures, you know, over-the-top caricatures, not like real flesh-and-blood people. Um, not to say that people like this don't exist, not at all. I'm sure they do. I've met a few. But when you when you fill a movie with a cast like that, and I understand what the filmmakers are doing. It, it's a tried-and-true slasher trope that we've seen since the 70s. You fill a horror movie with a bunch of unlikable characters so that when the killer kills them, we're more entertained by it than, per se, shocked or saddened. And, you know, if I was a 19-year-old horror fan, I would probably love this movie beginning to end. But as I am a 50-year-old horror fan who's been watching horror for over 40 years, that trope of filling a movie with unlikable characters just to watch them die doesn't work for me anymore. It just, I, I don't enjoy it. I, I would much rather you give me a cast full of likable people so that when their deaths occur, it means something. It doesn't make the deaths any less entertaining, in my opinion. It, it just, they mean something. I get some kind of emotional attachment. Now, you know, like, I'm going to be saying this a lot. Again, I understand this is a horror comedy, so it's not like they're going, they're pulling for the heartstrings here by any stretch, but I was so frustrated with the first 15 minutes of this movie. I wanted to strangle every fucking person that worked at this store, other than, of course, our protagonist, Libby, who's, you know, it's her first day at this store. So, of course, you know, Mike already said she's a young, idealistic uh, sales clerk. You know, she has this vision of the company that she's working for, CCC, Canadian Cotton Clothier you know, as being this great, you know, fair trade company that doesn't employ underage workers and blah, 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 all natural cottons and materials. <clears throat> so obviously she's more in love with the idea of CCC more than the reality of CCC. Because obviously, you know, before she works there, she has no idea what she's in for. So, but the thing is that even with Libby, even as likable as she is, it, it, she's just so dumb at times. that it's, And I understand she's young. This could be a first job because she's, she looks very young. She could easily be 19, 20, 21 years old. So this could be a first job, her first crack at the workforce. And she's just very standoffish, very shy, everything else. But again, it's just another horror trope that I've dealt with for so long. So I guess the long and the short of this is... This is a horror comedy where I loved all the horror and I hated all the comedy. So if, if you're the kind of horror movie watcher that likes to see movies filled with unlikable people specifically to watch them die, rock on. This movie's for you and you will probably enjoy it more than I did. 
I don't want to say that I don't want to make it sound like I dislike the movie. Like I said, I liked a lot of parts of it. I, I thought the majority of this film, especially the second two acts, were really, really great. But since the first act of the film is just kind of filled with character introductions of these just complete douchebags, it, it, it stops being funny after like the first couple. It's like, yes, you know, even the way the movie starts with the cashier saying the company's catchphrase to a customer, even that is just, ah, oh, I just want to kick them in the throat as soon as I hear it. So, um, yeah, so I did enjoy this movie. I will definitely watch it again. It's definitely not anything that I'll ignore after this. It has a lot of really fun parts to it. Like I said, great kills, cool original uh, antagonists. Um, even the storyline behind the jeans was so planted in reality that it, that I, I bought it, you know, I, I didn't really roll my eyes at any of the actual gene stuff. It was the characters in the movie that I was rolling my eyes and cringing at throughout the majority of this film. So yeah, there it is. I liked it and I hated it. I have a love hate relationship with slacks. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all right don how's your relationship with slacks ah just like a comfy pair of old jeans you've worn for the last 10 years um damn i thought that joke would go over a lot better <laughs> i was laughing on mute okay cool <laughs> but um yeah i guess that sense of hu- my sense of humor is just like the sense of humor with a film um like venom said this was a comedy uh, I was generally perplexed at this, thinking I was supposed to laugh at what was going on, because he's right. The horror in this stuff is absolutely phenomenal. The kills are spectacular. They're actually integrated pretty well into the concept of what's going on here, and that really, for me, is a, bi- a big deal, because they're kind of ludicrous in concept, but they're pulled off really well, so it really helps to make that um, that aspect of the film come off pretty well because that's exactly what the film is. It's a pair of, it's a killer pair of jeans come to life, killing people. Like it, it handles the concept pretty well and it, it keeps itself moving along at a quick enough pace that it's not necessarily something that you're going to get distracted by because you do get enough of a backstory and reasoning as to why they're, uh, they're together, which is, you know, pretty, pretty fun. Just like he said, um, where's the comedy in this? Like, I'm supposed to laugh at these people? Or I'm supposed to think that this is, a, you know, funny? I I don't get it at all, and there's absolutely nothing in this that I actually really chuckled at, um, outside of, you know, uh, something we'll get to later on, which I have a feeling you guys are going to be the same way I was, but... <laughs> Yeah, let's just say that um, the Gene's origins comes into play in a pretty into, pretty clever and unique manner, which actually did get a chuckle out of me. So that's, you know, I would say like the extent of the comedy. But yeah, I don't have much else, um, with, you know, much else than what Venom said to add on to it. Um, ex- pretty better than expected horror elements. Absolutely. bottom of the barrel comedy (laughs) I also forgot to mention too that even though this is a horror comedy there's actually some really good social commentary under the surface here there's there's great looks at the fashion world capitalism 
um, you know, taking advantage of third world, um, you know, workers, things like that. I mean, there, there's a lot of commentary under here if you really look for it. You can take the movie at face value and still enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying that after, especially when the movie ends and that final scene plays out, it, you know, it just really, really speaks about the fashion industry and capitalism as, as a whole. So, yeah, totally forgot to mention that in my general thoughts. Yeah, so that's kind of where I was going to go with my general thoughts as far as the comedic elements, because I, I agree. I didn't find any of the comedy in this movie necessarily like laugh out loud jokey. I thought if there's any comedy to be had in the movie, it's more kind of the characters being satire of like, you know, stores like The Gap or whatever. I mean, I've never been a big shopper of like, I wouldn't even call it high end fashion, but it's kind of like the uh, like the everyday, I guess, accessible, quote unquote, fashion for like the masses. I was never like a shopper of those stores anyway. So I can see how there's a, probably a lot of like the jokes and the com- not, not the commentary on capitalism and maybe the industry so much as where the the uh, stereotypical like employees and managers and supervisors how like they don't really give two shits about the employees it's just about like what kind of business and what you know what can they get people to buy from the store so i think if if people are looking for like a movie where you're just gonna sit there and laugh for an hour i don't think that's what this is now whether they were trying to go for that and they just couldn't pull it off or if that's not what they were trying to do when they say comedy I guess that can be up for debate, you know, when we get into spoilers or just when we further the general thoughts in a second. Um, but just overall, as a like a horror comedy, I I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was weird because there was what they wanted to be as quote unquote comedy, but the horror stuff was actually kind of played pretty straight or as straight as you can for a movie about killer genes. Keep that in mind. I mean, even though they're somewhat playing it straight it's still kind of like absurdly funny at the fact that there's killer genes um, going around murdering people in a clothing shop. Now um, I, I did actually think that the story behind it that they came up with was pretty good, like creative. Like, Cause I was wondering the whole time, like, like the biggest thing after 10, 15 minutes into it, we, we are uh, actually, I won't get into that part yet, but because it's kind of spoilery to the backstory, but I'll, I'll just say that uh, I thought it was creative enough and it kind of, it, it adds to kind of like the commentary on, I guess the fashion industry or just, I, I don't even know if the, the fashion industry so much as the clothing industry, the mass produced uh, yeah. clothing industry. I, I thought um, that was a job well done. They, they did just enough to kind of put that kind of messaging in there without, you know, making this like a, a two hour movie where, you know, we're getting like a half hour more or actually it would have been an hour more of that kind of stuff. Um, they, they, they kept it mostly light and just did enough to give us a backstory. So I thought that was well executed. Um, I'm also, you know, this is also the kind of movie where you, your biggest concern is, should this be a 15 to 20 minute short or should it even be, 77 minutes and i'll say i i was entertained for the 77 minutes um maybe to you know different degrees than you guys were but you know i didn't when it was over i i, I wasn't sitting there thinking man that was too long i i thought it was 
a, a pretty decent running time. Uh, it didn't need to be 90 minutes, so I think it was good that they kept it nice and short. And uh, I thought the kills, for the most part, were pretty good. Um, actually, you know what? No, let me take that back. I, there was a couple kills that were good, but a lot of off-screen stuff. But that could have been just budget. And like, how do you, <laughs> how do you kind of work it with jeans without like kind of repeating the same kill over and over? So maybe that's why they did some of the stuff off-screen where you get like blood splatters as opposed to seeing the whole kill. Well, it's. It was it was kind of the progression of the genes because going into this movie, I thought, okay, what can a pair of genes actually do to kill someone? They could crush mm-hmm. them while they're wearing it, which we actually do get in one of the murders in the movie. But then that's the only time they do that. Uh, they figure out a way to, you know, um, advance the kills in a different way that doesn't involve people actually wearing the genes. So I kind of like that. I like that a lot, actually, because I was fully expecting it to just be, you know, possess people to put the genes on. They die in the genes. The genes go to the next person. But they definitely did something a little bit more clever than that. So kudos. Yeah, exactly. And then as far as the characters, I mean, I found them pretty much all unlikable as well. But I but I thought that was kind of the intention of the characters as like satires on on, you know, that whole structure of the store. Like I said at the beginning of this whole kind of discussion, I'm not overly familiar, but that's how I assume, like, you know, it would be like walking into an Abercrombie and Fitch or something like that. People, <laughs> I mean, they're obviously they're they're way exaggerated. Yeah. So you have to take that into account. But, you know, this is probably like these characters, as opposed to based on the actual stories, they're probably based on like the the uh what what is that website glass door reviews of working in those places where people like uh write up all their horrible worst experiences in those places sure sure so um but yeah like i said overall i i had fun and uh it it gets a thumbs up for me yeah. and yeah i'd recommend it another quick easy watch that is not going to take a lot of time out of your day yeah I I 100% agree with you that these people are made unlikable specifically to kill them off. My point is that I'm sick of that trope. I'm just I'm done with it. The I I thankfully I didn't have to spend any money on this movie because if this would have been a theatrical release, I would be a little bit even more down on it. Obviously the runtime doesn't really scream theatrical release either, but if I had paid money to see this in a theater, yes, it would have upset me even more because of just that stupid trope of so so I literally just paid 15 bucks to watch an 80 minute movie about people that I don't give a rat's ass about you know that's a, that's a little infuriating to me um as I mentioned earlier a younger fan who maybe isn't as sick of these tropes would love probably love this movie like I could I could see 16 17 18 year old horror fans both male and female watching this and, you know, just having kind of a good time with it, you know, turn your brain off and just enjoy what's presented to you. But like I said, at the age that I'm at, with the amount of movies that I've seen, uh, on top of the fact that I'm a podcaster along with the rest of you, and, you know, I'm trying to be as uh, objective as possible. Obviously, none of us can be 100% objective. I think that's impossible. But I still want to just put it out there that if people are sick of that trope, this might be a movie to avoid. 
Whereas, as I said earlier, again, if you're totally okay with that, you're totally okay with absolute vapid dipshits in your movie that are there just to be killed in creative ways, then this movie is for you. I highly recommend it, just like Mike said. So it's really just a matter of the audience. Um, you know, I'm not going to call this a bad movie, not by any stretch. This is a legit good movie. I mean, you, you might go so far as to say great, but obviously because of the characterizations, I have some major problems with it. And I only have that problem because it affects my enjoyment of it. When I spend the first 20 minutes of an 80 minute movie just cringing and gritting my teeth and absolutely hating what I'm watching, it affects the total package eventually, you know? So even though the third act of this movie is absolutely balls to the walls and fun as hell, gory, bloody, it doesn't make up for all the frustration I had to go through in the first act. And again, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I can I can agree with that, yeah. I, I can see where some would probably feel that way. Yeah. I mean, we've had horror comedies with likable characters. I mean, Shaun of the Dead is one of the greatest horror comedies ever made. I can count on one hand the amount of unlikable characters in that movie, in a movie filled with likable characters, so that when people die, it still means something. Yes, it's a horror comedy, but I still felt bad when Sean's mom died. I still felt bad when the owner of the Winchester got taken out. There's still emotional content there. Slacks could have done the same thing very easily. Just adjust uh, the characterization on one or two of these characters. You know, make them a little bit less of a cartoon character. And But again, you know, directors go into the horror comedy thing thinking, fuck it. Make it as over the top as we possibly can. And, you know, the fans will gravitate towards it. And it's like, yes, a certain few, maybe even the majority of fans will, you know, kind of gravitate towards it. But then, you know, us old guys that have been watching horror forever and have been watching, you know, horror comedies since the 70s, it's like, eh, this one's just okay. As far as the comedy goes, like I said. And ultimately, I already said it during my general thoughts, I'll say it again, I did chuckle throughout the movie, but it was at the kills. It was at nothing that the human characters were doing. It was all about the genes. It was all about, you know, the, 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 I mean, there's some, there is actually some legit funny scenes involving the genes that don't involve any killing at all, which we'll get to in the spoiler section. Uh, a scene that actually did have me laughing out loud for whatever it's worth. And, it really only had me laughing out loud because I've been to India. I went to India in 2011 for work uh, for uh, a video game company that I was working for at the time. And this one particular scene involving the jeans and Bollywood music thoroughly entertained me. So, so the movie's not without its charm by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of where you as the viewer kind of lie. Do you like stupid comedy? You know, is, is cringy content okay with you? Blah, blah, blah. Those are the questions you need to ask yourself before you go into slacks. But ultimately, regardless of the type of horror fan you are, I still give this movie a recommend. I still think that the, the horror aspects of it need to be witnessed. Just like with Rubber. I mean, you, you haven't seen anything until you've seen a pair of jeans kill an entire store full of people. That's pretty damn awesome. <laughs> uh, yep. I, I agree with all that. Um, Don, you got anything else before uh, spoilers? I'm pretty good. All right, then. Well, then. Um, all right, then. That time. So, 
Let's do it. This is your spoiler warning, folks. If you have not seen the movie, pause the episode and go check the movie out and rejoin us. Or if you don't care about the film, then go ahead and see what you think of the walkthrough. See if it sounds entertaining. So, Slacks. Technically 2020, but in America 2021, so we're okay with that. Um, Our movie opens up on a cotton plantation. Uh, You can tell they're in, like, either India or Pakistan because you can see the women with, um, you know, wearing the suris, you know, those flowing gowns with the head wraps that they always wear. Um, And obviously we have various women picking uh, cotton and taking it over to a cotton gin. It's really just the only thing that really is established during this little cold open is the fact that part of this cotton plantation is corded off and there is a sign that says experimental field. So basically this company Obviously, it's set up right in the beginning at the opening that this company is doing some kind of experiments with this cotton material that's going to cause some hilarity later. So um, at this point, we are introduced to CCC, as I mentioned earlier, that's Canadian Cotton Clothier. It is a fashion chain, a fictional fashion chain. Uh, Looks like it's very high end. Like Mike said, Abercrombie Fitch. Air Apostle, stuff like that. Um, you know, and we're introduced one by one to about half of the employees in the store. We're introduced to Craig, who is a very wormy kind of just, um, man, how can I describe Craig? He's the store manager, but he's just kind of a wormy little douchebag that's willing to do anything to advance his career. I guess that's a good little introduction. He, uh, he's, a, he's the type of guy that comes, oh, sorry. He's the kind of guy that comes off as like very, ingenuous when he's being nice it's it's almost like he he's short with you and he says what he has to says to kind of like quote unquote motivate you but really the intentions behind it is just i want my sales numbers to look good so get out there and sell jeans yeah yeah he is the sheer definition of a corporate man absolutely cares more about the company than his own employees so that tells you a lot about craig already we're then introduced to hunter who Uh, Because of the way that Craig speaks to her, I kind of assume that she's like the assistant store manager. I mean, we never actually get her title, but um, Hunter is the first, she is a female, she's the first person that Craig goes to with any requests that he has for the sales floor. Uh, We're then introduced to Lord, an Asian man. And, And like I said, as we're being introduced to these people, we're just seeing just what douchey assholes they all are. Hunter is disinterested in handling the new hire, Libby, even though Craig assigned the new hire to her. She ends up passing off Libby on her first day to um Lord, and he is just as disinterested in training this poor girl. Um and then of course Libby, who um is our main protagonist of the film, probably the only likable character in this movie, semi-likable, I should say. You know, like like I said, young, cute, idealistic. Um, she's got this idea that CCC is going to change the fashion world and, and, you know, the clothing manufacturing world, things like that, because they claim to be, you know, um, as I said earlier, they claim to not use child labor. It's all fair trade. It's supposedly all natural cotton, blah, 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 blah. Uh, obviously, later in the film, we find out that's all bullshit. Not that that's any kind of surprise in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, so people are basically handing Libby off to to each other because no one wants to deal with her. We then meet Gemma, 
uh, a tall, statuesque blonde, probably one of the more attractive ladies in this film. Um, and she's obviously very into her body and how she looks. Um, she, uh, let's see, Gemma is actually the first person to find the said jeans. Now, the jeans in question, um, they were shapeshifters, right? Is that what they call them? Shapeshifters? No, super shapers. Super shapers. Was that it? Basically, it's a pair of jeans that they claim that if you're a little overweight or a little underweight, if you put these jeans on, they will actually form fit to your body to make yeah. your body look as attractive as possible. It's it's like the next gen version of form fitting. Like it literally, yeah, it, it's like it literally form pants, fits. If you will, but not quite that bad. <laughs> yeah, as um, opposed to it, it's like the true mm -hmm. definition of one size fits all, where it literally adapts to um mm -hmm. with sometimes deadly results as we'll find out <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah i'm i'm just checking right now with it says super shapers that's super the shapers. thing on okay. the I knew it was an um yeah that's what the synopsis says so cool so yeah so uh so this new brand of jeans are being introduced tonight on what is known as monday madness at this particular location um, so basically what that means is all the employees in the store have to work overnight while the store is closed to basically change all the stock because it's like the new, all the new season stuff is coming in. And the biggest thing that they're introducing is of course, these, uh, super shapers, these jeans that are supposed to revolutionize the way, um, and, and they're unisex too. So supposedly it works on both men and women. So go figure. Um, so, like I said, Gemma, the very attractive girl, very vapid and into her own looks, is the first person to take a pair of these jeans. Um, she ends up taking them to the bathroom, uh, changing into them, and then going out to a team meeting uh, that the owner of the company is actually having with all the employees of this particular location, including the regional manager and Craig, the store manager, Basically introducing the new line of jeans to, and, and then just basically repeating, you know, corporate buzzwords that we've heard before that just, you know, don't really make any sense out of context. And they barely make any sense in context for that matter. Um, so after Jenna, uh, after Gemma puts on the jeans and goes back to the team meeting, pretty much almost instantly, as soon as the team meeting starts, she starts to feel pain. Uh underneath the jeans and she actually thinks that she's uh having her period she thinks that they're cramps and she's upset because it's a week early she ends up going to the bathroom um <laughs> to quote unquote plug herself up yeah that's the terminology they use and while she's in the bathroom she basically goes into one of the toilet stalls and she tries to take the jeans off so that she can check to see if her period has begun or not but she's having trouble taking the jeans off. Uh, the, the clasp won't undo. The zipper won't unzip. Um, and she starts to panic a little bit. And then we kind of notice the jeans themselves start to tighten. Um, they, they were ever so slightly loose on her just a little bit when she put them on. And now they're like skin tight. And now she's sitting on the toilet and she's struggling. She's, she's whimpering, trying to get the jeans off. Of course, they're not coming off. We start hearing the, uh, the very recognizable tightening sound effect, you know, when denim starts to tighten, uh, leather too. I, I, you can hear it when leather starts to tighten. 
And she starts panicking more and more. Suddenly we see blood coming from her waistline from underneath the jeans. They continue to squeeze, continue to squeeze until you hear one big crack, uh, which I assume is Gemma's spine or possibly her hips. Yeah, maybe that whole area there. But yeah, Jenna is dead. And uh, basically all we see is a large pool of blood underneath the toilet stall where Gemma was just sitting. Uh, we go back outside to the team meeting and the owner of the company is uh, basically telling everyone that Peyton Jules, one of the most popular Internet influencers, YouTubers, whatever you want to call her, is coming to do an exclusive at the shop during closing hours. So basically they've given her an hour. This girl is going to show up at exactly midnight. Uh, the store's automatic security. Of course it has automatic security. Why wouldn't it? It's a horror movie. So the store's automatic security unlocks at midnight exactly to let Peyton in. And then as soon as her and her crew are in the store, it automatically locks behind them and will not open for at least an hour or exactly an hour. Actually, um, the uh, the store owner lets them know that at 1 a.m. the doors will open again for another five minutes for Peyton and her crew to leave. We go back to the bathroom where Gemma was just killed and suddenly her body is gone. We don't see her body, but what we do see is the jeans themselves moving on their own and actually drinking the pool of blood that Gemma left on the floor. Now, in this scene, admittedly, it looks more like the jeans are just kind of wiping it up. Um, it isn't until a later kill that we actually see the jeans are actually uh taking like drinking the blood of the yeah. people that they kill i, I definitely thought actually i i definitely thought the earlier scene was the jeans wiping it up just to cover the crime scene that's what i thought exactly yep yep totally i think that's definitely what the director intended um for the viewers to think so after that Craig realizes that Gemma is missing and he sends his assistant hunter to go to the ladies room to find her when Hunter goes to the, to the room to find her, he, she doesn't find Gemma, but she does find the jeans. The jeans are still there, and they are neatly hung over the door of the toilet stall, almost like somebody put them there on purpose, like they didn't want them anymore, something along those lines. Hunter sees the jeans. Now, we see something different about the jeans in this scene. Um, when we first see the jeans loaded up, there is... Uh, an SS logo on it. I don't think they intended it to be Nazi-esque by any stretch, but I did know that that was the first thing I thought about. I'm like, wow, that looks like the SS logo. But anyway, which could be more of the commentary about, you know, corporate America and whatnot. So, um, but anyway, the, uh, the logo has like four or five little hollowed out section in the SS logo. And after the jeans kill Gemma we, and, and Hunter finds the jeans later in the bathroom, we see that one of the segments is filled in in red and it wasn't before. And that's a theme that we'll see as the movie goes along. What that actually means, we will never know because they kind of leave that plot point kind of dangling. It, it seems cool and it seems like maybe something's going to happen when uh, the logo is completely filled with red. But I don't know that they actually imply that it does anything but we'll talk about some theories later on uh, after the walkthrough so like i said hunter finds the jeans and she starts looking at them and it looks like she starts to go into a trance almost like the jeans themselves are hypnotizing her 
She ends up taking the jeans out of the bathroom. She goes over to a changing room and she starts putting the jeans on. It looks like the jeans are hypnotizing her to put them on. So she starts to put them on. As she's putting them on, you can kind of see the jeans struggling. Not necessarily like they're struggling, like they don't want to be put on, but that like they're kind of forcing her to walk towards a certain part of the room. So she's like, she's obviously like being forced to take these steps that she doesn't want to take. Eventually, she gets the jeans on completely, and the jeans basically just start moving on their own, and she has, you know, no option but to go along with what they're doing. She doesn't have any control over her own legs, and what ends up happening is the jeans make her trip into a display hook. Anybody who's ever worked retail knows that we have those racks on the sales floor, and then we have the hooks uh, that are detachable, that we actually hang the individual pieces of clothing on. That's basically what she gets impaled on, head first, by the way. Uh, this is an off-screen kill, unfortunately. We don't really get to see the actual moment of impact. Um, we we get to see basically her lower half and then blood just kind of running down to the floor. So, you know, that's the first of the off-screen kills, if you will. Um, so at this point... Uh, Craig once again now realizes that now Hunter is missing. So now Gemma and Hunter are both missing. He can't find them. So he goes up to Libby because he thinks that they're in the women's bathroom. Because he even makes the, the statement that I've looked everywhere but the ladies room, which I obviously can't go into. So at this point, he asks Libby to see if he can find Gemma. And what does Libby end up finding but Gemma's body cut in half, literally perfectly cut in half into two pieces right at the waistline to the point that all of her innards have just spilled out into this little, um, almost like a cubby hole, like underneath the sink. Uh, it looks like the jeans basically hid the body and then um, drank all the blood that was on the floor, basically leaving the, fo the floor spotless, so... So, yeah, so obviously Libby is distraught after finding Gemma's dead body in the bathroom hidden underneath the sink. Craig comes in, and, and this, is, this is a characterization change that kind of bothers me. Up until this point in the movie, Craig has been shown to be uh, a spineless yes-man who just will do anything for his career. Um, but maybe, you know, he doesn't come off as psychotic or anything like that. But as soon as the first murder is... Um, kind of, you know, exposed by Libby and Craig, the first thing Craig says is we have to hide the body. And Libby, of course, wants to call the police because Libby's starting to get the idea in her head that there is actually a killer in the store. Don't forget, no one witnessed any of these deaths yet. So it's just, you know, they've got Gemma's dead body. Craig convinces Libby that they can't call or leave the store anyway because they're on lockdown. During lockdown, telephones are shut off and the store is electronically locked. So he convinces Libby that they, they're not going to be able to, you know, call the police anyway. So, um, you know, they uh, they end up putting Gemma's body in like one of those rolling garbage uh, receptacles, you know, one of those little mini dumpsters, if you will where they then wheel it out to the real dumpster to throw all the garbage out. Uh, they end up throwing her body in one of those, and they just kind of leave it in the hall with all the other bins of garbage that are in there. And they, you know, hide the body underneath some bags and whatnot. At this point, uh, the Asian uh, employee, Lord, and yes, his name is Lord, which I don't know if I like that or not. It might, It's kind of cool, but I don't know. 
Um, so anyway, Lord is now the next person to grab a pair of jeans. He does not grab the same pair. Um, this is where we start to kind of realize that maybe it's not just one pair of jeans that are possessed. Because at this point, Lord goes into the storage room where all the jeans are kept and he grabs one of the pairs. He doesn't grab the pair that Hunter died um, trying on. It's another pair. Um, he starts, and then basically the same thing. He looks at the jeans. We look at the SS logo on the jeans, and now there's two red patches that have been filled in. And it, it starts to look like he starts to go into a trance where um, almost like the jeans are kind of talking to him. Um, he ends up taking the jeans to a more isolated part of the warehouse. And then suddenly out of nowhere, the jeans bite off his thumb. A very awesome arterial spray after the thumb. I thought you said thong at first. I was like, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was he said thumb. <laughs> it was just that damn thumb. And then, and then the jeans bite off the rest of that hand in one fail swoop. And then they bite off his other hand. So now Lord is literally spraying blood out of both of his stumps that used to be hands and just screaming like a madman eventually the jeans and then this is the first time we see the jeans look like they actually have a face because what happens is the jeans position themselves on the floor in a way where the back pockets are open slightly like they're kind of raised up slightly so they look like eyes and then the actual part that you get into the jeans and you know the waist part is its mouth and it's actually looking right at lord lord doesn't really know what's going on uh, but then finally the jeans leap up and just bite his head completely off uh, right after slitting his throat. Like they, they jump on top of his head, like they engulf his head. And while while he's screaming and panicking, the jeans actually slit his throat. It's a very juicy throat slit, actually. Yeah. And, um, and then after that, the jeans just take the head off completely. At this point, that scene ends and we go back out to, let's see... Uh, we go back out to the sales floor where now Craig has realized that he has three employees missing. Uh, Gemma, um, excuse me, Hunter, and now Lord. So again, he decides, okay, I got to find these people. So he decides to go back to the warehouse himself. What he doesn't realize is that Libby notices him kind of slink out of the sales floor to the to the warehouse and she starts to think that there might be something going on so she actually follows him to the warehouse when craig gets to the warehouse he finds a just a regular you know a cardboard box sitting on the middle of the floor in the warehouse when he walks up to the box and looks to see what's inside it very reminiscent of seven if you remember that uh, he opens up the box, and there's Lord's severed head in the box. But it's not just his head. It's all his body parts. So apparently the genes completely dismembered Lord. You know, we saw him, we saw the genes take out his thumb and then both his hands and then his head. But, it, yeah, it definitely looks like it dismembered him completely. His uh, Basically all his body parts now fit in a 12 by 12 box, um, which Craig, like I said, Craig finds it, which freaks him out right away. But then... Uh, Libby walks in. Libby walks into the back room right behind him. She walks up behind him and sees Lord's head sticking out of the box. Craig tries to convince her, oh, it's just mannequin parts. It's not actual, you know, that's not a body. Somebody's just playing a practical joke on us. But at this point now, 
Libby has witnessed two murders. Uh, don't forget, at this point, no one has found Hunter, um, the, the girl who died by getting impaled on the, uh, the, the, display, uh, the display hook. Um, so Libby and Craig have now found their second body. And at this point, Libby is adamant. We got to call the cops. There's probably someone in the store. You know, there's probably a serial killer in the store. Somebody is doing this. Obviously, no one has witnessed anything, so no one's going to say it's a pair of jeans. But, you know, Libby is very distraught that there might be somebody in the store. Craig basically talks her down again, telling her, no, there's nobody doing this. This is just some weird coincidence, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Libby is just adamant that she's going to call the cops. So as she turns around to walk away, um, Craig grabs a, a piece of a mannequin arm or leg, I forget which, and knocks Libby out from behind. And then he just basically leaves her in the warehouse, just unceremoniously just leaves her right there on the floor in the middle of the warehouse. And um, at this point, we go back out to the sales floor and Peyton Jules has now arrived. It's now midnight. The store has opened for five minutes to let them in. And Peyton and her crew, it's only a two person crew. It's a sound man and a girl running her camera. And they're in the store basically doing um, a live video, even after being told they can't do live videos because this is a um, this is a new fashion line launch and it's not supposed to hit the public market until 8 a.m. But she ends up going and starting to record a video anyway, um, you know, talking about how she's doing an exclusive at CCC for their new line of, of jeans that are shaped, you know, that, you know, help form a nice butt on almost everybody. Uh, but then as in this this part, I actually loved because um, one of the things I was worried about is that the jeans were going to just take people out one by one for the majority of the movie and then not expose themselves to the masses until the very end. You know, but nope, at this point in the movie, which is only about 20, 25 minutes in um, as Peyton Jules is recording her YouTube video or Instagram or whatever the hell it is. Literally, we see the jeans start to climb up on her legs. And this is all on live video on the Internet. Um, the camera girl and the sound man notice the jeans start to climb up on Peyton, but they don't do anything. They literally just keep recording, which I found hysterical because it just kind of shows that, you know, th this girl is such a vapid little shit that even her <laughs> own crew hates her. I just thought that was so funny that they just let her die. Anyway, the, the jeans... Like I said, as they're on video, the jeans start to wrap around her neck and then they wrap completely around their, their neck. They twist the two legs together and then it lifts her off the ground like a noose. And then we actually hear uh, the neck crack when the jeans break her neck and then just drop her onto the floor. Obviously, at that point, everybody on the sales floor just starts screaming and panicking and running all over the place. This is the first time that we actually see the jeans upright on their own. They actually stand up almost like a person is wearing them. By the way, all practical effects in this movie. No CG. I'm very happy about that. If you watch the movie in, to completion during the credits, they actually show the green screen actor doing the dance with the jeans, you know, um, wearing a green screen suit. So all practical effects. Once again, kudos uh, to the filmmakers for that. Okay, so at this point, like I said, Peyton is dead and the jeans are basically just um, going all through the store. Now, unfortunately, a scene that could have been one of the most fun, hectic scenes in the whole movie, we don't actually get to see. 
as soon as the genes uh, kill um, uh, the girl, the internet chick, uh, Jules, and everybody starts to panic, uh, basically the scene just cuts there and we go to see Craig, who is in the back room at this exact moment, grabbing another pair of those genes specifically to give to um, uh, the internet girl. Why did I forget her name already? Per, uh, uh, Jules... Peyton, Peyton Jules. I'm sorry. It's such a stupid yeah, name. I shouldn't forget that. It. Peyton Jules. Um, so I, anyway, I think intentionally back, stupid. Oh, what's that? In- intentionally stupid, probably. Oh, definitely. Everything <laughs> stupid in this movie is intentional. I will give the filmmakers that. It's not like they tried to make a cinematic masterpiece and failed. No, they intended to make a very self-aware horror comedy, and they succeeded. So, you know, I'll give them credit for that, for whatever it's worth. So, when Craig returns from the back room with the pair of jeans for Peyton, he sees that there's uh, just pools of blood all over the sales floor, but there's no bodies. There's no bodies around. The bodies, for some reason, keep disappearing. Hmm. Something to think about. But yeah, basically what Craig witnesses is when he walks back out there, he sees all the puddles of blood. He actually sees a couple of pair of jeans. This is when we actually see the jeans for the first time actually drinking the blood. Um, you remember how that, how I said the, the top part of it kind of formed a face with the mm-hmm. back pockets and then the opening? Um, they're basically all almost like an antelope at a water hole in the Serengeti just bending down and just drinking this water, well, blood right off the floor, basically leaving not even a drop. I mean, the floor is spotless when they're done. They're not wasting any blood. These jeans must be German because they're very efficient. So, nice. All right, so... Uh, the very next scene, what we see is Shruti, and Shruti is uh, an Indian American girl who's working at the store, um, and she's basically uh, doing her job. She's working on her display, and she's wearing earbuds, so she actually doesn't realize what's happening in on the rest of the sales floor. So she's sitting there doing her job, and she's listening to Bollywood music in her headphones, <laughs> in her earbuds. Um And then this is the scene I was talking about, guys, that actually had me rolling. Uh, The jeans start to stalk Shruti. They start to, like, walk behind her very slow, obviously with the intention of killing her. But then when the jeans notice that she's listening to Bollywood music, they start fucking dancing. Yes, anthropomorphic jeans that are just dancing. And Shruti, like I said, she's got earbuds on and her back is turned. So she's completely oblivious to what's going on to this amazing scene of these jeans just dancing by themselves to this Bollywood music. So obviously the jeans are a fan of Bollywood music. We'll find out more about that in a little bit. Yeah, that was, Uh, that was fun. The first time that happened, it was kind of a little nice sight to behold. It was. I just. I don't know why it tickled me so much, but yeah, it absolutely did. Okay, so at this point, um, after uh, basically as Shruti is doing her job, um, her alarm goes off, signifying that it's her break time, and she stops the music uh, in her earbuds, and without turning around, walks to the back room, to the break room in the back of the store, without noticing anything that's happened at this point. And at that point, we see the jeans, as soon as the music stops, the jeans stop dancing, and they almost look upset about it. But luckily, Shruti ends up leaving uh, the sales floor to go take her break. And the pair of jeans notice that she was working on 
the top half of a mannequin, you know, just from the waist up, like one of those mannequins that actually stands on a display. And she was, you know, putting clothes on the mannequin. The jeans starts walking slowly up to the, to the mannequin, to the top half of that mannequin and starts looking at it longingly. And suddenly in the very next scene, what we see is the jeans walking around, but with the top half of the mannequin attached to the jeans. So it actually looks like some kind of weird, creepy statue walking around by itself, you know, a totally white, emotionless face, but with these blue jeans, just, you know, walking all over the store looking for more victims. Um, at this point, there's only like four people left alive in the store. That would be Craig, the store manager, Shruti, the Indian girl, Libby, our main protagonist, and the regional manager, uh, a very just pissy blonde woman who, you know, basically just berates Craig at every opportunity. You know, not much characterization there. It's just, you know, we get her for a couple of scenes. Um, Craig obviously has been watching everything that's been happening on the security cameras. So he's aware of what's happening, but the, the regional manager has no idea. And when, and when Craig tries to stop her from going back to the sales floor, she of course berates him, calls him a little bitch, mm -hmm. tells him, you know, you'll never be a regional manager. You'll always be an underling, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then big mistake. Exactly. And then she goes out uh, into the she tries to go out into the hall. Craig tries to stop her one more time. She goes on another little mini tirade insulting him. And then Craig is like, OK, go ahead. <laughs> so Craig obviously got a little guilty pleasure out of this one, because as soon as she walks out into the hall, she grabs the pair of jeans that Craig had dropped on the floor. And as soon as she gets off camera, we hear her scream. So unfortunately, another off-screen kill. Um, but yeah, she is taken out. The only thing that we see is her hand next to her body and a pool of blood kind of developing around the hand. So unfortunately, off-screen, but, you know. And this is a, this is a kill I would have liked to have seen because this woman was set up to be like super bitch, you know? It's like one of the ones that you would get a major guilty pleasure out of watching die, but they don't give it to us. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Where are we at this point? Okay. So at this point, um, uh, who's left? Shruti and Libby end up, um, calling Craig on the walkie talkie. They have, they have like an intercom system, a walkie talkie, like a wireless communication system that they use in the store, basically little earpieces. Um, finally, they're able to find where Craig is, and he's basically locked in his office. They end up joining him in the office, um, and this is after he already knocked out Libby. Libby doesn't – now, obviously, Libby's back was turned, so she can't be 100% sure what happened. But she has a look on her face when she enters his office like, I know you did something to me, but I can't prove it, so I'm just going to let it go for now. And they start looking on the intercom, uh, excuse me, on the security system. Uh, they, they have various security cameras throughout the store. They start looking through the security footage and they see the jeans with the mannequin half on top of them walking through the hall right outside Craig's door. Um, basically, they start putting two and two together. They start to realize by watching some camcorder footage that was recorded on Peyton Jewell's uh, camcorder that they, they see that the jeans were dancing when Shruti was listening to the Bollywood music. So what they decide to do is they decide to plug uh, the Bollywood music into the store intercom so that it's played over the speakers throughout the store and in the storage areas. As soon as the music starts, 
exactly what you think is going to happen happens. The genes start to fucking dance. But this time they're dancing with a mannequin, uh, uh, the half, the top half of a mannequin on them. So it looks even fucking creepier and almost funnier. But I don't know. The first scene just tickled me so much when I saw it. Um, Shruti, as they're watching this thing dance in the hallway on the security cameras, Shruti notices that the... Uh, the pair of jeans gave themselves a bindi. And for anybody who doesn't know what a bindi is, it's basically that red dot that we see a lot of Indian people have on their forehead, mostly women. But yeah, they call that a bindi. So she notices that A, the pair of jeans dance to Bollywood music, and B, the jeans put a bindi on the head of the mannequin that it's now wearing as its top half. So basically everybody puts two and two together. Um, they stop the Bollywood music once again, and Shruti, in, in her native language of Hindi, actually starts asking the genes question. And much to our surprise, the genes actually respond, not verbally, obviously, because these genes have no way of making any kind of noise. But what the mannequin does is it, and it grabs the arm of another mannequin that is in the general area there, and then it takes that hand um, and dips it in a pool of blood where the regional manager died. Because don't forget, the regional manager died in the same hallway. Mm. So mm. basically, the, the the genes grab the arm, dip it in blood, and they start uh, writing stuff on the wall. Basically communicating with the people that are looking at her, or it, uh, on the security camera. So they start asking it questions. Who are you? What do you want? The genes end up spelling out the name Kirat. K-E-E-R-A-T, which is a very common Indian uh, female name. They realize this. They realize, wait a minute, that's a girl's name, an Indian girl's name. So Shruti um, continues speaking in her own language and asks the genes, who's Kirat? And the genes just uh, spell out in its native language, me. And Shruti's like, wait a minute, me? They're saying the genes are saying that she's this girl, Kirat. So basically they start asking the genes um, a series of questions over the store intercom, asking her, um, you know, who are you? Where are you from? What happened to you? That's the big one, because then as soon as they ask what happened to her, that's when we get our flashback, which is basically the continuation of the scene of the opening scene of the film. When we saw the Indian woman picking cotton and then walking over to the cotton gin what ends up happening is that the quote-unquote woman, that because we, we only see her by the lower half in the opening scene, when the camera pans up, it actually turns out to be a very young girl, um, probably somewhere in the 12, 13-year-old range. And um, we see her take her basket of cotton that she just picked, and she walks over to the cotton gin. Uh, she leans over the edge of the cotton gin to dump the cotton that she picked. And unfortunately, the head wrap that she's wearing, um, you know, if you guys know the traditional head wraps that they wear, they're very long and flowy. Unfortunately, the, the, the part of the head wrap that's hanging down gets caught in the in the blades of the cotton gin and unfortunately drag Kirat in there, creating an absolute bloody mess. And I have questions about this scene, but I'm going to wait 
until we get to the end of the, uh, the end of the walkthrough. Cause I've got a lot of questions actually. A lot of them are logic questions, which I shouldn't be interjecting logic or even attempting to interject logic into a movie like this. But listeners, if you've listened to my stuff, you know, that's just kind of the person I am. Even in a horror comedy, I got to interject some logic in there. So, uh, so like I said, we see that, you know, we actually see the scene where Kirat dies in the cotton gin, uh, when we come back to the mall, uh, the store, CCC, the um, Libby asks Kirat, how old were you when you died? And that's when she spells out the number 13. Uh, this is obviously a revelation to Libby because Libby was under the impression that these people, that the company CCC does not use underage labor, that they don't use. Uh, she also finds out that they use GMOs, growth uh, hormones, in their cotton plantation, which doesn't seem real legal, but whatever. I mean, at least it's not food that's being consumed. Um, but obviously when you're dealing with, uh, you know, genetically modified, you know, uh, things like that, you can't always guarantee the results and here are the results. So basically GMOs combined with a very violent death turns into living pants. So there you go. That's the equation. All right, so... Yeah, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but hey, I'll go with it for a horror oh, movie. Oh, yeah, I mean, considering where it could have <laughs> I guess been, stretch, no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it could have been completely ludicrous. And ultimately, this is very believable. Underage girl being forced to work, um, you know, probably for terrible wages and a terrible accident, and she ends up losing her life at 13 years old. So, of course, her spirit is going to be pissed off and want justice. And that's one of the things that she actually spells out in blood on the wall is the word justice. Obviously, Kira wants some kind of justice for what happened to her, though it does seem odd, right? Because it's not like the company killed her. She died by just a freak accident. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, I understand why she's pissed and why, you know, the mere fact that the company uses child labor, but she died by her own hands. And, you know, so it kind of the whole wanting justice thing is a little bit of a stretch. But again, horror comedy, I'll accept it. So what they end up doing is uh, they end up actually having a conversation with Kira be beyond this origin. They actually, Libby and Shruti actually end up walking out of Craig's office into the hallway where the jeans, who I am now going to call Kirat, is basically standing there, but Kirat doesn't attack them. And what Libby and Shruti basically offer is they, they they basically ask Shidat, will you stop killing if we tell your story? If we put the story out there, if we let the world know what CCC is really about, will you stop killing? And, um, you know, the jeans with the mannequin on top just kind of do like a, a bow. Obviously, they can't nod its head because it's fused to the mannequin body. But, yeah, she basically does like a bow in agreement that, yes, OK, I will stop killing if you tell my story. But at that exact goddamn moment, as soon as they make this agreement with Kira, here comes dumbass Craig with a fire extinguisher. What the fuck was Craig thinking? <laughs> he comes out and he sprays a fire extinguisher at Kira. And, of course, you know, uh, she runs away from the hall, dropping the top half of her mannequin self. So, you know, she's just a pair of jeans again. And, of course, Libby and Shruti both ad admonish Craig for what he did, 
Because it's like, what the fuck are you doing? We, you know, we got her to, we talked her down. We got her to stop killing. Craig, of course, doesn't believe them, says, what are you talking to a pair of jeans? Shut the fuck up. So, you know, Craig is just turning into a more and more unlikable asshole as the movie goes along. There is no redemption moment for Craig in this movie. Spoiler alert. (laughs) So, after Craig does this stupid crap with the fire extinguisher, um, they start to talk about how many pairs of jeans the store actually ordered. Because at this point, our... Our survivors aren't sure if it's only one pair of jeans that's doing all the killing or if it's multiple pairs of jeans. So they end up asking Craig how many pairs of jeans are in the store. He lets them know 175 pairs of these um, super shapers are in the store. And as I mentioned earlier, if you're really, really paying attention, which on the first viewing, you're probably not really paying attention. I didn't even notice this until the second viewing that the genes that kill Lord, the Asian guy in the background, are actually different than the genes that kill Peyton Jules. So, you know, like I said, you, you kind of have to be paying attention. But even if you miss that, it's not a big deal because it's, it's a nice little mystery to find out. Is it just one pair of genes or is it all of them? So once they make that um realization that there's that many pairs of jeans in the store they decide to go to the warehouse um, because the jeans were in a locked room because like i said they weren't supposed to be released until 8 a.m that morning so this company obviously keeps very tight lock on their on the stuff that's not available for sale yet so they end up walking back towards the room where the jeans are being stored and as they're walking Walking towards the room, we start seeing multiple pairs of jeans walking out of that room. Um, Not all 175, I don't think. It's maybe in the neighborhood of 12 to 20. But they do, a bunch of them do end up walking out of the the, uh, storeroom towards the sales floor. Now, at this point, once again, Craig turns into just a conniving little douchebag because at this point he demands that the girls give him the camera that they've been, you know, Peyton uh, Jules camera that has all the earlier footage. And then they've been recording footage as the day's been going along, as the night's been going along. They even recorded part of their conversation that they had directly with Kedot on that camera. So obviously this camera is like the MacGuffin. It's, it's basically all the evidence that is needed to pretty much shut down CCC forever. As I mentioned earlier, Craig is one of these idiots who basically lives for his job and is willing to do anything to make sure that nothing um, bad happens to his store or the company. Uh, so like I said, he demands the camera back from the girls. The girls refuse to give him the camera. And we actually see them kind of go off on their own for like 30 seconds, maybe, while Craig is basically demanding the camera. And then Shruti says, "Okay, if you want the camera, you're going to have to come in here and get it. And the girls end up running deeper Uh, there. I forgot to mention that Craig actually locks them into a uh, fenced off part of the warehouse. So at this point, the girls, um, they tell him, well, if you want this camera, you're going to have to come in here and get it. They both run their separate ways deeper into the warehouse to find a a hiding spot. Craig obviously has to use a key to get in there, which which delays his chase a couple of seconds. But once he gets in there, um, he starts basically (laughs) acting like a slasher, where he's basically sneaking around the back room, looking around corners, looking to see where all these girls are hiding. Finally, he runs into Shruti, uh, the girl who's actually holding the camera. 
he basically tells her, look, give me that camera because I don't want this getting out. At this point, I'm thinking to myself, now, wait a minute, you all your employees are dead, including your regional manager and Internet star, her crew. How on God's green earth are you going to fucking hide this just because you get rid of that camera? It doesn't make any sense that this many people would just disappear. On top of the fact that in uh, the scene previous to this one, when they went out and saw the jeans walking out on their own out of the storage room, we actually do see what they've been doing with the bodies. And the bodies are basically all piled up in the back of the warehouse. They're all still there, all, you know, in the condition that they, that the jeans left them in, you know, some of them are dismembered. Some of them are just, you know, throat slit, whatever the case may be. But yeah, all the bodies are still in the back room. So Craig demanding this camera just felt weird but at this point, Craig is probably mildly insane himself because of all the events and trying to figure out how he's going to be able to get out of this and save Monday Madness because that's all he cares about. He doesn't give a rat's ass about any of his employees. He just wants to save Monday Madness, blah, blah, blah. So as he is pleading with Shruti to um, give him the camera, Shruti ends up throwing it across the warehouse. She throws it to another part of the warehouse thinking that Craig would probably just go running after it or whatever. But Craig, at this point, this is where Craig turns just flat out evil because he stabs Shruti in the heart with one of those uh, display hooks that we were talking about earlier that killed Hunter. Uh, he basically grabs one of those. This one's a little bit bigger. It's not the little white plastic one. It's the, like the big metal one where you can hang multiple um, uh, clothing on. And he stabs Shruti right in the heart. Unfortunately, Shruti falls over, dies. Craig goes running towards the camera to get it, uh, you know, before Libby escapes. He finds the camera. He grabs it. He tries to play back the footage. And the only thing that's displayed on the screen is SD card not inserted. So obviously, when the girls went off to the side on their own, Libby took the SD card out of the camera. Smart girl. And, you know, basically has it on her person now. So Craig ends up catching up with Libby in the warehouse. He sneaks up on her from behind and he basically grabs her and he starts telling her, give me the goddamn card. Give me the SD card, blah, blah, blah. But at the exact moment that um, Craig attacks Libby from behind, an army of the jeans, maybe not quite an army, but I'd say like at least six or seven of them show up. And they literally, um, he pushes Libby down to the floor, which knocks her out again. Poor girl probably has a concussion by now. Um, while she's out, while she's out cold, that's when the jeans show up. They corner Craig in the warehouse and they fucking flail him. Uh, anyone who doesn't know what flailing is, it means to be skinned alive. Yes. Basically all the jeans jump on top of him and just start peeling his skin off to the point that when the genes all dissipate and go their separate ways, what we see left is a basically a husk, a skinless body with all its innards pulled out. Like it's, it's chest cavity is open, but it's empty. Like there's nothing in it. So apparently the genes took all his organs for some reason. At this point, obviously Kedot knows who Craig is and knows that he's, you know, kind of responsible for what's going on right now. Even though he's not directly responsible for what happened to her, she understands that he's the main antagonist of this store. So, yeah, they definitely take their time killing him. And it's 
easily one of the more violent. It's either that or Lord's death as like the most violent uh, death in the movie. So um, good effects on this too. The body looks really, really good when the jeans walk away. Uh, at this point, as the jeans are starting to walk away from Craig's dead body, Libby comes too. She wakes up, but she realizes that she's surrounded by jeans, not surrounded in the sense that they're going to attack her, but they're just walking by her unconscious body to go back to the sales floor. As soon as the jeans are out of sight, Libby gets up and starts to walk. And don't forget, at this point, Libby is our final survivor. No one else is alive in the store. Uh, Libby decides to go out to the sales floor and she sees um, about a dozen pair of the jeans just standing on their own on the sales floor. And we can hear a crowd outside the locked door of the store. Don't forget, these are automatic locks. So Libby can't stop these doors from opening at exactly 8 a.m. So before, just before the doors open, Libby pleads one final time with Kida. Please don't kill these people. They're not responsible for what happened to you. They didn't do anything to you. This isn't justice anymore. This is just murder. Um, Kirat doesn't seem to be real impressed with her plea. And then we hear the alarm or we hear the bell go off signifying that it's 8 a.m. And the doors are about mm -hmm. to automatically open. Here it comes. The doors start to open from the bottom up, and we see a crowd of people outside the store pushing at the doors, waiting to get in. Libby tries to stop them from getting in. Uh, they're, you know, it, it, it's a standard entrance for a store, you know, double glass doors. So she's standing at the second set, the inner set of doors, basically blocking the path, trying to keep people from getting in there. But these people are literally rabid. I mean, don't forget, it's Monday Madness. All the new fashions are out, including this revolutionary pair of jeans. So it was expected that there would be a crowd. Unfortunately, the crowd ends up um, just pushing through Libby and trampling her uh, to the point where Libby falls to the floor and we start to see a pool of blood um, start to form under her head. At the exact same moment, we can hear all the customers that just pushed their way into the store all getting slaughtered by the jeans. Unfortunately, we're not really seeing it. The camera is fixated on Libby on the floor, but we are hearing it. So all the customers that just basically ran over Libby to get in the store are all basically getting their comeuppance. And uh, basically, the last bit of the film is one last close-up of Libby as she takes her final breath. Yes, unfortunately, Libby did survive the jeans apocalypse, but she was killed by her own customers trying to get into the store. That's some fucking social commentary for you right there. And our movie just ends right there, um, Fade to Black, and that is Slacks 2020. Now, the thing I wanted to ask you guys is... Obviously, there's plot holes in this movie. It's a horror comedy, so there's going to be plot holes all over this movie. The first question I have is, once Kidot died in the cotton gin, what the fuck made them continue using that cotton? That doesn't make sense to me. Like, they had yeah, to I, use I, the cotton that had her blood on it to make these jeans. Because obviously, what I figure would happen is, 
after Kirat dies, the next girl to fill up her basket with cotton would walk over to Cotton Gin to dump her cotton into it. She would see the bloody mess all over the place. She would inform somebody, an authority of some kind, and they would stop working that day. That's what you would expect to happen. But apparently, they went ahead and made the jeans anyway. Um, I, I didn't know you could use raw cotton that's been stained with human blood, but apparently in this universe you can. So there you go. Um, and yeah, we, I already talked earlier about, uh, um, Kirat's motivation, you know, yes, I understand that she died while working underage for a company that wasn't supposed to be employing underage labor. But like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, that the machine was faulty. It was literally 100% the head wrap that she was wearing. Just, you know, it would be like, an American working in a cotton gin, you know, back in the yeah. old days, like in the twenties, people would die in those things all the time. I don't know if yeah. anybody saw that movie, The Mangler, with uh, uh, Robert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's that was basically a cotton gin. Oh, and that movie Graveyard Shift too. That yeah. also had a cotton gin in it. Yeah, it was. Somebody. It was a straight up accident. Now, I guess the overall argument is that uh, because she was a child, she shouldn't have been forced to do sure. the labor anyway. That's that's obviously what they're saying, but yeah, the actual death, there was no malicious intent behind it. Um, all I could assume was she she gets pulled in and maybe she gets chopped up so much that any cotton any cotton in there gets mixed in. Like maybe someone didn't notice it until like it gets mixed in mixed in with like a bunch more cotton where it's diluted. I mean, obviously there's a little bit of a you know. Uh, separation of belief, yeah, in reality, in the literal, yeah, what literally happens because you would think, yeah, it get it would have got noticed before it went anywhere. Um, but I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a certain amount of a process that's automated to where by the time the death itself was discovered, the cotton had been mixed up with so much other cotton that it diluted any, uh, you know, vision or visuals of the blood, but. I mean, you kind of, yeah, you do kind of have to stretch and just go with it. <laughs> I mean, no matter how much they mixed it with untainted cotton, there would still be a red tinge. I mean, this thing destroyed Kira. It ground her up to bits. So there should have been blood all over that batch of cotton that was getting separated by the by, by the cotton gin. So, I, I mean, again, horror comedy. I shouldn't be making this many questions but it's just my nature sorry folks <laughs> i gotta question it i i just gotta question the motivation of filmmakers who leave these types of plot holes in there but ultimately um elza kephart did a really good job with this film she is of course the writer and director and there's even a kind of a funny story about this about how uh she got the title for this movie basically 15 years ago yes 15 uh, she was on a road trip with her writing partner, Patricia Gomez, and they were they were basically just taking a trip uh, driving across country. I guess they were going to L.A. from some eastern part of the country. And during the uh, during the trip, they had this little game where they would talk about silly words like words that they found funny, odd you know, things like that. Obviously, the word moist is kind of a trigger word for a lot of people for some reason. People don't like to use the word moist, but there it is. So during their trip, um, Patricia said that she didn't like, or no, Elsa said that she didn't like the word panties. 
for some reason, the word panties, like when she said it, it didn't sound right. It sounded like something a child would say to describe their underwear. And then uh, Patricia said slacks, that she hates the word slacks, that she doesn't think that those that doesn't sound like a pair of pants. It doesn't sound like something that you would wear. And apparently Elsa started repeating that word in her head, slacks, slacks. And literally over the next 15 years, she started to develop and write this, uh, the screenplay for this movie. Obviously, she wrote the treatment first and then, you know, started working on the screenplay with her writing partner, Patricia. And basically, like I said, 15 years ago, so it's been 15 years that she's had this idea in her head. And what basically what made her make the movie that she made was that she saw a documentary about the fashion world. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the documentary, The Truth Something or something, the truth, something along those lines. And like I said, it's it's a deep expose on the fashion industry and how cutthroat it is and everything else. So when she saw this documentary, it basically gave her the final inspiration for making this movie. So yeah, this movie is 15 years in the making, if you can believe it. But well worth the wait, I'm, because it is really yeah. Fun. And I mean, it doesn't surprise me, because they always say art imitates life. So I mean, she probably you know, took uh, either real life experience or, as you said, saw the documentary and that inspired her to make a, you know, a satirical movie about the, I I would say, what, the uh, mid-level, what the hell word am I looking for? Not fashion industry, but uh, whatever the hell you call these things. Consumerism? Consumerism, yeah. Consumerism works. Yeah, because this stuff isn't high-end fashion. As, as no, we've said, yeah. store looks like The Gap, Aber- Abercrombie & Fitch, you know, those mall stores, the, the quote-unquote high-end for a mall. But, I mean, it's not like it looks like a Gucci store or an Armani store or anything like that. But it, it's right. still... Like, mass, it's mass-produced clothing, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, to where they, they almost, like, the managers and employees act like it's high hand but no. oh yeah <laughs> well that's the whole thing with their personalities yeah they act like they work at armani exchange yet they probably work in a mall in in a slightly higher end fashion store you know i mean obviously they try to set this up as like the be all end all of fashion you know having the um the influencer the the the, the youtube girl peyton jewels having her come in doing an exclusive video of the release of these particular jeans, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's definitely, it's absolutely a parody. It's just, and and the parody stuff I'm fine with. It's like I said, the characterization, which in and of themselves are also a parody because they're parodying the types of people that would work in those types of stores. You know, the uppity holier than thou people that, you know, I wear a $300 t-shirt, so I'm better than you. Those people. I understand it's a parody of those people. The problem is, is if you're going to fill the entire goddamn movie with those people, I'm not going to like it as much. I need some kind of emotional attachment to it. Even if it's a horror comedy, I need to feel something. Obviously, the preferred emotion would be laughter. <laughs> I, I wish this movie was funnier than it was. But like I said, we, we still did talk about the couple of scenes involving the genes that were legitimately funny. So, you know, we're good with, you know, that's something. I'll give it that. But, yeah, as far as the characters, I can't say enough how much I absolutely hated everyone in this movie except for Libby. 
And then the way Libby went out too. Like I understand the social commentary there, but what a, what a fucking slap in the face, you know? It's like it, with, with like five ten minutes left in the movie, it seems very obvious that she's going to be our final girl, blah blah blah. And then she's died. She she gets killed by trampling. Ah, I like I said, I understand. Hey, the yeah, commentary. it's just I mean, frustrating. Makeup probably make a case that it was probably all the concussions that made her, that weakened her, but... <laughs> yeah, that's valid, actually. I wasn't even thinking about that. She took many blows to the head in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. it was just... Maybe it was supposed to be irony in the fact that, you know, the the industry she couldn't wait to get in ended up killing her. Um, I It was funny, yeah, because when she hit the floor, then all of a sudden there's this big pool of blood. I thought she was just maybe knocked out and then all of a sudden you see all this blood in her life oh shit it, I, and the more that blood comes i was like oh my god is she gonna die because that's a lot of blood yeah yeah but that's it's what i thought they were going for I've with seen. her death was maybe like a message of irony that like people you know if you're like a probably mid to late teen that kind of job is probably desirable for you you come into it all idealistic like oh you know, I love clothes. I want to work with clothes and I'm going to, you know, sell clothes to people and it's going to be so fun. And may, and the fact that the job ended up killing her, maybe there's supposed to be some type of comedy. I mean, there's probably some there. irony there too, in the sense that the people that Libby was trying to save ended up killing her. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's gotta be some kind of ironic, you know, twist there that I'm supposed to be taking out, out from this. But ultimately I just found it. I don't know. It wasn't pleasing to me. I'm not saying that Libby had to live. No, not at all. I'm I'm, I'm very okay with horror movies where no one survives. But just ah, uh, it just felt like such a slap in the face for her to die by trampling. You know, I, I and and I've already said it. I understand the commentary there. I totally do. Um, but man, just as a viewer and a fan of Libby, I I wasn't ultra happy with that ending. But I see why it's there. So so yeah, overall. Really, really good movie. I definitely would recommend it. I just, like I said, it's a matter of how you handle cringy characters and cringy conversations. Otherwise, it's great. Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty much right there, so I don't don't have much else to add. So. All right. Well, in that case, that was our discussion on the movie Slacks. Now streaming on Shutter. I think I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, but in case not, uh, now you know where you can find it if uh, you're interested. So um, it's that time of the show where we're going to let everyone know where else they can find us and what we have for them to listen to. So, Benham, you're up first. All right. So uh, <clears throat> on the main show, No More Room in Hell, still have not recorded an episode, a newer episode since our February episode. We are scheduled to get together in April. And that's mostly my fault because my March filled up really quick. I actually am podcasting every Sunday in the month of March, including most of the Saturdays. So I I definitely kind of spread myself a little thin. So unfortunately, the main show is going to suffer. It's going to get delayed a couple of weeks. But sometime about midway through April, we're going to be looking at a couple of Czech movies. Uh, We're going to be looking at 1970s Valerie and her Week of Wonders. And 2016's The Noonday Witch. 2016 or 17, one of those. That one's available on Shudder. Valerie, obviously, we got we kind of got to go to the Arrow Blu-ray release. But, you know, we love Arrow, so there's no problem there. 
Um, let's see. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, still kind of delayed. Um, and once again, it's me. I'm so busy in March that I just don't have any spare time. We had a Sunday carved out. Unfortunately, one of us had to go to work, got called into work that day. So that got delayed. So hopefully look for that sometime in April. And that'll be, of course, looking at um, Gamera versus Barugan. And by that point, by the time we record, Godzilla versus King Kong will be out. So I'm sure that'll be part of the discussion for that ep- that first episode back. Unless we decide to do an entire episode on it, which I would prefer to do. Uh, kind of like we did for Godzilla King of the Dinosaurs uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, let's see how that pans out. Sh- were we doing it when that came out? It wasn't an official underwater kaiju from outer space episode. It was technically kill the cast, but yeah, me and Derek were on it. It was me, Derek, uh, Jay Murphy, uh, Jerry, and one other person. I can't remember who, but it was oh. it, it was something that wasn't planned. It just like out of oh, the blue, okay, yeah. it's just like, hey, you want to talk about that? <laughs> so, oh, because I I didn't know if because I I didn't know if that one was actually out when the show started. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, well, it had come out. Yeah, yeah. Because it came out, what, last year? Or, no, 2019. And, yeah, we, because we're, we're up to, what, episode, like, 22 or 23? Oh, I, I, I know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the first one. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first one, 2014. Yeah, yeah. definitely. No, that's why I, that's why I was kind of like, oh, wait, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got brain fart there for a second. No worries. All right. So, like I said, that's Underwater Kaiju. Look for that on Legion Podcast sometime in April. Um, let's see, uh, on It's Not Horror Okay, we're going to be looking at the Steven Seagal film, Marked for Death. Um, it's been a while since I've had a chance to make fun of Steven Seagal, so it made sense. And this was my pick, so that'll get recorded later this week and should be available on Dark Discussions sometime early next week. Look out for that. Um, and then... Let's see, Theme Warriors, we will be recording a new episode this coming Sunday. We're going to be looking at movies where the lead actor plays dual roles, more than one role in the movie. You know, obviously, you know, an example, of course, would be like Tilda Swinton in the new Suspiria movie where she played a female and male character in the movie. I'm actually surprised no one picked that movie. But then again, I don't think any of us really want to watch that again, so... <laughs> you just answered your own question. Yeah, I did, didn't I? I wasn't even thinking about that. <laughs> well, that's why I, that's why I didn't pick with what I was flirting with picking with, because I was like, you know, people usually not on purpose hate my picks, so I'm not about to pick one that going into it. I know everyone's going to hate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's a good call. Absolutely. All right. So that's, uh, like I said, that's Theme Warriors. And then last but not least, in the mic of madness. Unfortunately, we have not had a new episode in a few weeks. There have been multiple delays. Obviously, uh, Rebecca started a new podcast with uh, some other ladies of Dark Discussions um, called the Slumber, what is it? The Slumber Party Massacre podcast, I believe. Um, That's also available on Dark Discussions, so check that out. I did listen to episode one finally, even though there's like, I believe there's like three episodes out already, but I'm so behind on my podcast that I finally listened to the first episode. And great job, ladies, if any of you are listening. Uh, I did enjoy the show. I like the three-act structure. You know, it's nice to hear a show, a podcast on Dark Discussions that isn't just 
you know, filled with movie reviews and feature reviews and things like that. So just having that open conversation was really cool. So again, uh, check out that episode, which is probably, like I said, what's uh, delaying part of what's delaying in the mic of madness. But as of right now, we are scheduled to record this coming Monday where we will finally um, take a look at, did we decide? um, Oh, right. Yes. Uh, We decided that we're going to look at two movies where, um, they're they're ba- they're basically horror adjacent films starring action stars that don't usually do horror. So I'm pretty sure the options are going to be pretty obvious. You know, when people hear that description, we're going to be looking at Charles Bronson's Ten to Midnight and uh, Chuck Norris's Silent Rage. So those two will be on the next episode of In the Mic of Madness with Brad, Rebecca, and myself. And whew, that's finally all I got for you, Mike. All right, Don, what do you got? All right, so uh, like Venom said, Underwater Kaiju was supposed to have had our episode out, but um, we ended up having to reschedule at the 11th hour, so we're back to square one trying to get our schedules coordinated for that. Uh, One of the episodes that I've been teasing for a while has actually um, not only been recorded, it's also been released. Um, I did a guest spot on a video podcast or video upload for the uh, YouTube channel associated with the website I write for. Uh, I did a guest spot on um, the Asian Movie Pulse uh, YouTube channel looking at the film Impetigor. And uh, I actually got to show off a little bit of my Asian horror knowledge there. Um, Unfortunately, my video camera was so badly that I ended up breaking it, so... Um, I ended up having to turn it off to save viewers from having to look at me for the last five minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, my ugly mug broke the internet. So go ahead and. <laughs> hey, that's the exact reason I don't do any video shows. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to look at Mr. Venom's face. I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, that is actually released uh, today. Actually, um, the day we're recording this, at least. Um, appeared on my wall about an hour before we started recording. So yeah, that is out. Um, the latest episode of graveyard shit that I recorded with Will and Glenn is also released. It is a commentary on Godzilla versus Hedorah, which was a last minute thing because I ended up goofing. Cause I thought we were going to record Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Only I found out that they meant the 93 one, not the 74 film, which I had. So I was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> So we switched over to Hidora at the last minute. So, yeah, that is uh, out. Um, we're just basically, you know, again, like I've been saying with them, just in a holding pattern, waiting to get back together to record with them again. So I have no idea what we're recording. Anything that comes out from them is done without my involvement. Um, the approval is granted, but without my involvement. So uh, that was the last show I recorded with them but other than that um i should have a handle on one more guest spot that i have coming up soon but that is uh still being worked out at the moment so i can't really reveal that but yeah uh, that's all for me all right as far as i go um like venom said theme warriors is coming up and I actually have a couple guest spots booked, but being as this is podcasting we're talking about, there's always chances of something 
causing those to go wrong or not happen. So if all goes as planned, both the guest spots will have been recorded by the time our next Fresh Cuts is recorded. So I'll just wait to then to mention them. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. The Theme Warriors uh, for me as well. And uh, with that said, Venom, any idea what you guys want? Are, I can't remember. Did did someone recommend something for us to do after Spy? Yeah, was Heather did, but I yeah, Heather did something. Um, was it get the hell out of what? What is it called? Get out of the attic. Stay the stay out of the fucking attic. Oh, was was it. that it or was that? I don't know if that was it, but I, she mentioned that it was something that dropped on Shutter, and I went on Shutter that night, and that was the newest thing on there. So I watched it, and yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> well, but I, things. I mean, we still never did Lucky. I mean, there, there's there's options out there. Plus, I, I did see uh, a couple of new things pop up on the server. So, they, they, I mean, I, I don't have an exact idea, but I'm sure there's plenty out. There. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Plus, the good thing about next episode of Fresh Cuts is um, after that, I think. No More Room in Hell is coming up in a week or two, so anything we don't cover on Fresh Cuts that we watched. So some of these, obviously, will get uh, relegated to just bringing up in the What We Watch segment. Um, And then also, before we get out of here, uh, it looks like uh, theaters are starting to open up somewhat in some cities at a certain amount of capacity. So... um, uh, you know, it's still going to be a matter of, of at least me and Venom. I mean, obviously, no one's saying, Don, you can't. But it's just a matter of if you're able to get to the theater where you live or if the ones open up. Because I'm a yeah. Regal guy just because of my Regal pass. And I did, I did get the me, but it's... Oh, oh, No, there's me... a theater near me, but it's not open. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There, there, was one that, there was one that opened up near... There was one that opened up about maybe two months before the pandemic hit, which was kind of unfortunate. Uh-huh. So yeah, that one opened up and then it's been closed ever since. Um, I, I've not heard anything about when it's coming okay. back. Uh, out here in Los Angeles, movie theaters open this week. And uh, after perusing some of the listings, it looks like the first horror release that Mike and I will both be able to see in theaters is probably going to be uh, the unholy um, the movie with Negan in it. Yeah. I forget Negan's real name. <laughs> Jeffrey Dean. Jeffrey Morgan. Dean Morgan. Thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, that looks like that looks to be the first horror release uh, after theaters reopen. I believe that's less than two weeks away, April fourth. If I yeah, remember correctly. Right now, I'm waiting on like more details because so I I know I mentioned on the show in the past, but since it's been so long, um, I, I'm a regal unlimited or whatever the hell they call their program Mm -hmm. i'm part of that and finally like i think it was like a day after we started hearing about amc and i was like bitching like oh i haven't heard anything from regal and of course the next day i get the alert on my app that says okay regal is opening now it's really regal as a chain but it said what's going to happen is in two weeks there's a certain amount of them they're going to open and then in the coming weeks more and more are going to open so i pretty much check the app every day for showtime to see if there are in my city because i'll go once Mm -hmm. it opens it's just a matter of is the one by me actually opening this soon or am i still going to have to you know wait a couple months so Mm -hmm. once i know for sure then 
and we can, you know, get back to planning theatrical showings when possible. So it's just a little bit of a waiting game, but we could yeah, do that's, when it Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing with for me is that it opened up just two months before the pandemic and then I haven't heard anything about it being open since. Sucks. So I yeah, I don't know what I don't know what's gonna what what, what we're gonna do with it. Yeah, it'll it'll be something to keep an eye on because yeah, we we want the opportunity for everyone to be able to cover stuff, but some things are just out of our hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a movie I don't I've never heard of it. It's called The Toll, and it opens at my the drive-in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I just got like an email about that. Um, but hey, I mean that's been one of the cool things about the drive-in. They've been taking on lots of horror movies that probably wouldn't have otherwise been wide release. So we'll see. But anyways, yeah, so we'll we'll just say next episode we haven't uh, set a movie in stone yet. Plenty to uh, research and figure out. So um, we'll be back in about a week's time, like usual, with the next episode. But until then, let's get the hell out of here. Let's say bye to the listeners. Later. Have a good night, folks. Don't buy tainted cotton. Yeah, one size definitely doesn't fit. <laughs>